1: For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I had the chance to sit down with Brian Hogan Stewart, a communication strategist by day and the host and creator of the Salt and Spine podcast, a favorite of mine for really in-depth behind-the-scenes conversations with authors about their cookbooks. And since Brian has spent more time immersed in this year's cookbooks than just about anyone, I wanted to hear from him about the recipes that he keeps turning back to, where he thinks cookbooks are headed, and which of this year's books he would recommend as gifts for all of the cooks in our lives, from beginners to those people who make their own milk bread every week. But first, just to show you how good Brian has always been at what he does, here he is to tell us, how his very first podcast guest ever was the legendary cookbook author, Nigella Lawson.
0: We decided there's no one better to start with Mm -hmm. than her. It's like, if you're going to start a cookbook podcast, it should start with Nigella. So it just kind of worked that way. Um, And she was just one of my favorite guests. Other than you, of course, and many others, but like she, I've had so many (laughs) wonderful people. uh, But she was so gracious and just such a joy to talk with, and was so immersed in the conversation and really engaged, and was just such a wonderful person to have on.
1: So it's not even just that your first guest was Nigella Lawson. You had a whole season's worth of guests who had never heard you on a podcast before. That is even more amazing that you lined up such such esteemed guests. I guess that's what I'm curious about is like how is that part of your work in communications that you knew how to to explain to them what the concept was
0: without really having something to point to? I think that was a big part of it. I'm a communicator by trade and I've Mm -hmm. done this for so many years in terms of crafting messages and conveying things in the, the way that they need to be conveyed in order to get what you want. But it still kind of surprises me when I think back of, to that time and just cold emailing all of these people and their publicists. For that first season, my producer and I, we got almost everybody that we wanted. I think there was one person we really wanted that first season who said no. But other than that, we got Nigella and Jacques Pepin and Diana Henry and all these incredible people. I had no sort of background in audio. I hadn't done podcasting or worked with audio much before that, but something just kind of clicked and it felt right. And it's like the premise is I want to talk to cookbook authors. I want to learn more about their inspirations, their work, what what drives them, how they actually approach the work of creating a cookbook and what better way to do that than actually sharing that conversation with the world. And it was a a wonderful experiment that has been really successful and, and a lot of fun.
1: I just, I hope that is so inspiring to people who are listening that if you have something you really want to make happen, just go big, put in the legwork, do all of your research, get yourself well set up, and then it can happen.
0: Yeah. And and that's not to say it wasn't terrifying. Like, yeah. It was kind of <laughs> terrifying. So I'm like, this is probably my one shot, right? Like you don't get to just ask Nigella every week if she can come on your podcast. So I think it was still kind of terrifying. I had a belief that somebody would be interested in this concept and that somebody would be interested hopefully more than one somebody that people would be interested in a a podcast that focuses on going deep with cookbook authors and mm-hmm. understanding that craft and so that that vision i guess really just sort of guided me
1: it sounds like also your your genuine passion and curiosity for cookbooks also was was driving you in addition to all of the research and preparation that you had done into the actual interview I can tell from your interview style, both from having been interviewed by you uh, for Genius Desserts back in 2018 and also just listening to your episodes, you you clearly really get to know these cookbooks and these authors inside and out. Do you find yourself cooking from the books a lot?
0: Yeah, I do. And, you know, especially in the pandemic, I've had a lot more time at home to be cooking from books. Mm. But I think that is a, a big part of How I approach salt and spine is ensuring that I really am not going into any interview cold. Mm -hmm. We had Chris Ying on a while back, cookbook author and former editor of Lucky Peach magazine, and he called us the most well researched podcast in America, which I now like love to share with people because I'm like, I do, you know, it is really important for me. And sometimes it can catch people off guard that I've done enough research to sort of know what they majored in in college or how food like manifested (laughs) itself early in their life because they shared that somewhere else before. And I really do focus on like learning the book and learning the cookbook and understanding what's unique about it or just sitting with it long enough to have questions about why did you as the author approach the book in this way or structure it in this way or decide to include these types of recipes and not this other type of recipe. Or what was the creative process like in terms of photography and design? And so I think that is sort of really important to me in in being able to have those questions that go a little bit deeper and are really tailored to that person's work and and can dive a little bit deeper into that creative process and not just become sort of surface-level marketing responses.
1: Can you think of um, one or two specific memorable recipes that really came alive for you, either because of your closeness to cooking from the book or through your conversation with the author, maybe in the last year or so since the pandemic started?
0: The one that always sticks out to me is Nick Sharma has this recipe. I think actually he he has a recipe, this same recipe on Food 52 for the hazelnut and ginger cookies. It's a hazelnut mm-hmm. flour with ginger and some black pepper.
1: Yeah, that was actually a genius recipe.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's right. So he actually brought that he brought those cookies to our interview. So he had baked some at his house that morning and brought them and so we sampled them before we sat down and had the conversation and those are now like a staple in my house. We make those all the time, but mm-hmm it's a really unique recipe. As you know, it's gluten-free and it's just like these really inventive flavors and a cookie recipe that really speaks to his work as an author because it is really representative of a lot of the elements of his life. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an Indian influence. He was born in India. There's this, he's a scientist sort of by training as well. So there's like this element of that, that recipe being scientific in the way that he approached it and the way that he created it. Um, So I think that was just like this really nice moment um, of seeing the recipe come to life and hearing more about it. And then it really has become a part of my life, too, because it's one of my all time favorite cookie recipes now and I make it all the time.
1: And that one really it's so easy. It's you just basically kind of stir the ingredients together, too. There's no like creaming butter even or, or, you know doing much at all to it other than just stirring it in a bowl, which is kind of surprising for a cookie recipe. And so like a lot of the excitement and newness of it comes from the inherent textures of the ingredients and flavors of the ingredients.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just it's like a wooden spoon, melted butter. Like you're not you're not beating butter. You're not creaming sugar into butter. It's just like it comes together so easily. So that that was a fun one. Are
1: there any other trends that you saw over the course of 2021's cookbooks, things that you were happy to see, things that you wished you were seeing more of?
0: Yeah, it's sort of interesting because a lot of the books that were coming out were written, photographed, sort of put together at the start of or right before the pandemic. So I think it'll be really interesting to watch like how the cookbook industry evolves over the next few years as I think more people cook Mm -hmm. from home, more permanently because they've become used to it or gotten interested in it and excited about it over the past year. So that's like one thing that we didn't really see quite as much of an impact f- uh, for this year, but I think will be pretty significant in, in the next few years. There was a lot of focus, I think, on just like simple home cooking again this year. I There weren't a mm-hmm. lot of like big chefy books that felt like they were really breaking through or the most exciting books. It feels like the books that were really exciting were these books that were interesting and accessible for home cooks. Um, Julia Tertian, she had a new mm-hmm. book called Simply Julia that is really simple recipes. And if folks are familiar with her work, she tends to have pretty small ingredient lists. It Things come together pretty quickly. She did a whole book on leftovers a couple years ago. So that's like an element that sort of carries through, and they're they're often leftover friendly or or can be sort of big batch friendly recipes. And also, Hetty McKinnon had a new book called To Asia with Love. It's her fourth book, and she's a vegetarian, so her recipes are inherently vegetarian. But it's not sort of built that way. I have seen a lot of excitement around that book. I've made some really delicious things from that book because it feels so accessible. You open it up and it's just like these fresh recipes that are really craveable and have these Asian influences. We did this dinner party series over the course of the pandemic on Zoom virtual, and she joined us one month and we we all made a pad thai salad together, which is a, it was a cold noodle salad with the flavors of pad thai. And it's just really this exciting book. So that's another one that I think is really great for home cooks. And there's a number of others, but I think it's that's sort of been like the theme this year is home cooking and how can you sort of take on simple recipes at home or some like more project based ones.
1: It is really interesting. I mean, you are analyzing the ways that cookbooks are built. And so you're seeing that play out in how the cookbooks finally come together in the end. And you can kind of see the clues of like, okay, this was probably shot before the pandemic, but they included a note or maybe in their acknowledgments, they pointed out, look, this was, you know, like in the example of Julia Tertian's book, I think she's been really vocal about how they had to change course. I think they were shooting at the beginning of the pandemic. They were going to initially shoot in Julia's home as they had done for previous cookbooks, and they had to kind of scrap their plans. And they ended up having Melina Hammer, who's this amazing photographer and food stylist and recipe developer who I think lives fairly near Julia. And so Julia would make the recipes and drop them off in Tupperwares at Melina's house so that it was contactless. But then um, Melina would shoot them that way. So I think we we see some of the signs of how things had to shift depending on where a cookbook was in in its process.
0: Yeah, it's totally true. We talked to um, Jake Cohen a while back who wrote Jewish. And his photo shoot was like the week of the lockdown. So he was like, Mm -hmm. we were like, he had like a 48-hour window to like shoot the book. And that was it.
1: Oh, my gosh. I couldn't help but think about um, my own experience because I've been working on a cookbook now for three years. And it's had a number of delays because of the pandemic. And I feel like a lot of people who have been working on cookbooks in the last couple years just inevitably are going to be influenced by the limitations that we've had. I talked to Sarit Packer and um, Itamar Shrulović about their book recently, um, Chasing Smoke. Mm -hmm. And it was researched and developed before the pandemic and came out during the pandemic. And they went to several different countries in the Middle East and researched all these grilling techniques. And I feel like that was sort of a last wave of cookbooks that would have easily Uh, Been able to be produced like that, where you sell a cookbook proposal, you travel for the cookbook. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have been creating cookbooks from our literal home kitchens, even if maybe we would have been in a test kitchen before. Certainly, the book I've been working on has been very, very hyper focused on home cooking.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to make things really practical. And I think it's just going to make things more personal, too. I mean, not Mm -hmm. every cookbook is designed to be personal, but I think. Even if you're producing a cookbook alone in your house without a test kitchen, without a recipe tester by your side, without support Mm -hmm. folks to help you with prep or cleaning or even having to do creative elements um, virtually, all of those things are just, I think, going to drive cookbooks to be a little bit more personal because they just, Mm -hmm. they are. (laughs) The act of creating them has been more personal for the past year and a half. And they just inherently will become, yeah, I think more accessible and more uh, more personal.
1: I'm looking forward to that.
0: Me too. Yeah.
1: Hey, it's Kristen. If you're enjoying this chat with Brian as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit follow so you don't miss out on other stories like this one. And like our recent episode with Jesse Sevchek about the unusual way that he dreamed up his new cookbook, and the secrets to the most magical holiday crinkle cookies I have ever had. In the second half of this episode, Brian gives us his best of 2021 cookbook recommendations. The heavy hitters, but also the the under-the-radar ones. For every cook on your list. Or just for you. In terms of this year's cookbooks and this year's holiday season, I would be very curious to do sort of a little pop quiz for you. If people are shopping for cookbooks still for the holiday season and they want to get a new cookbook that came out this year, I wanted to hear your recommendations for a few different types of cooks in people's lives. Yeah. Which book from 2021 would you give to a beginning cook?
0: Mm, Let's see. Well, I feel like I've talked about Simply Julia so many times, but it is one that I think any beginning cook should have. It's comfort recipes. And so like you're going to find really craveable things in there, meatloafs and um, one pan dishes, but in a really accessible way. I think that is probably the one that I would recommend everybody have if you're new to cooking and really interested in, in learning some of the basics Molly Boz wrote a book called Cook This Book. She's very popular with millennials and young people. And the graphic design is very bright and bold. But if you're a new cook, she has QR codes throughout the book that show you how to do certain things like chop an onion or how to um, do other sort of kitchen things, whether it's a specific technique or just like a helpful little guide. So I think if you're a new cook, that could be a really useful tool for you as well. That having sort of those little guides embedded throughout the book um, could make it seem a little less daunting to take on some new cooking projects or try something new.
1: Next type of cook a baker.
0: A baker. Okay. I love this category. One of my favorite baking books this year, the title mm-hmm. is Life is What You Bake It. The author is Valerie Lomas. She competed on the Great American Baking Show, and her season was. Was canned at the last minute after everything was said and done because of um, one of the judges was accused of um, inappropriate behavior, and they decided to just cancel the whole season. And she was at that point she had already won. The public didn't know that, but she was set to become the first person of color to win any of the Great Baking franchises, Great British Bake Off, Great American Bake Off. So it would have been this really huge moment for her and and for the franchise, and they just. Kind of scrapped it. Mm-hmm. So she took that, you know, she's a lawyer. She had been a passionate baker and decided she was going to pursue baking more seriously. That's why she auditioned to go onto the show. And she turned that into a, a moment for herself. And that led her to her first cookbook, Life is What You Bake It. And it has these wonderful little stories throughout of, you know, her life and what led her to baking and and what it was like for her to go through that process with the show and what it was like for her to leave her career as an attorney as a lawyer to pursue food and baking more full time so there's these wonderful sort of vignettes and stories throughout but it also is just filled with these really wonderful recipes Um, there's breads Mm -hmm. and cookies and muffins and it's just like this wonderful book so that's one of my favorite ones can I give you a second one? Yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> the other baking book I've just been loving lately and I'm I'm thrilled I think she's going to be on Sultan's spine soon is Christina Cho's new book, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's this beautiful book that is features recipes from Chinese bakeries. They bill it as really the first book of its kind to take a, an in-depth or this extensive this comprehensive maybe is the best word, look at, bakery, at Chinese bakery recipes. And so I think it's one of those just inventive books that you would feel really excited about and inspired by if you're a baker and want to try something maybe you haven't tried before or want to create a classic item that like you're always getting at the bakery when you're in Chinatown and have never thought to make in your home kitchen. So I just, I love that book. And I think it's um, a really important book and a really exciting one to have on your shelf.
1: Next category, a super experienced cook who wants to try something new.
0: Yeah. Um, I think if you're really experienced, there are a few good chefy books this year, like uh, Mr. Jews in Chinatown, which I think if you're interested in Chinese cooking um, is a really great one. It's not super inaccessible, like you don't need to be a professionally trained chef to cook from from his book. But um, Joshua McFadden has a new book called Grains for Every Season. And I think his recipes are achievable, but a little more advanced. Mm -hmm. And um, he wrote Six Seasons, which was a really highly lauded cookbook a couple of years ago. Uh, award-winning book and this is his new book on grains it's called grains for every season rethinking our way with grains and I feel like that's just a really inventive one with really unique flavors I haven't cooked from grains from every season yet but I've cooked a lot from his first book six seasons and there's a lot of really interesting and unique um, flavor combinations and pairings that as a not to brag but a pretty like Polished home cook, I would not have thought of. And so I think while it's not super intense or time consuming or technical, as a home cook, I feel like it's always exciting me to look through his books and see how he approaches flavor. So I think if you're a pretty experienced home cook, Grains for Every Season and his first book, Six Seasons, um, would be really exciting. We also got a new Otalangi book this year. Um, And so I think if you're an Mm Otalangi fan, and you're a pretty advanced home cook, you can't go wrong with any of his books. And the new one was Shelf Love. Shelf Love. Yeah. And that's another one that um, is sort of, it's like pantry recipes and unlocking the secrets of your pantry, fridge, and freezer. So that was another one that I think was a wonderfully timed cookbook for the world that we're living in today, where people are really have been forced to sort of think about how do we cook from our pantry and rely more on that when grocery shopping wasn't quite as much of an option. But as I said earlier, I think that'll be a trend moving forward too, because I think even as we hopefully move past COVID and the world reopens and we can freely grocery shop more and go out to eat more, I think people are still going to be really attentive to how do we cook from our pantry and from our freezer? And how do we get creative with what we have? And how do we make home cooking sort of exciting? That's a good one of the time, Otolenghi Test Kitchen Shelf Love, but also one that will be a, a staple probably for a lot of people moving forward.
1: And finally, someone who reads cookbooks like
0: novels. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, that's me in a nutshell. I read cookbooks like uh-huh. novels. So I'm like, I have like 14 rolling around in my head right now. Like, <laughs> What do I tell you? Because that's how I, those are all my favorite cookbooks and how I read them. Bryant Terry has a new book called Black Food Stories, Art, and then it also has 75 Recipes from Across the African Diaspora. Uh, it's the it's the first book from his new imprint for color books, uh, where he's specifically focused on publishing cookbooks and food books by people of color. That's just a really exciting one. It has a lot of contributors that have provided recipes, but also essays and um, personal vignettes and um, lots of content in there. So that's one that I think if you're interested in both recipes and like a lot of really powerful storytelling is a really good one. And it's just like a beautiful coffee table book too, like definitely cook from it. But it's also just like the design is stunning. And there's now food on the cover, which is kind of rare for American cookbooks. It's it says black food in this beautiful, bold um, typeface. So that's a really great one. The other one that I really loved that came out. Right at the beginning of this year, I'm I'm 95% sure it was not 2020. I think it was like January 2021, is Black White in the Gray, which is the memoir from Mashama Bailey and John Morisano, who run the Gray restaurant. And it is more of a book and more of a memoir than a cookbook, but it does have a recipe at the end of every chapter. So there's maybe a dozen, fifteen-ish recipes in the book, so you can definitely cook from it, and and they're connected to the themes of the book. It's just this wonderful memoir of how they came together to open this restaurant in an old Greyhound station, and what it has meant for the community and the trials that they've gone through as as friends and business partners. And um, I think if you're interested in restaurants or Food That is just a wonderful book. Um, and the benefit is you can cook from it, too.
1: Is there anything that I haven't asked you about, but a book that you just loved and you think would be great for anyone?
0: The one that I didn't mention that I really love from earlier this year is called Getaway from Renee Erickson. Because I think as we're still sort of not fully past COVID... It's such a fun book. She go. it features recipes that are inspired by some of the favorite places she's traveled. She's a chef and she has written other cookbooks before. And it's just like you can transport yourself to Italy so easily, or you can transport yourself somewhere else based on the different recipes. Um, to so that I really liked that one this year because it just I could just open it and feel like I was traveling, which I've I've missed traveling so much. Mm-hmm things just change so fast now. We've been living in a global pandemic. We don't know when we're going to be able to travel again internationally. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the next couple of years looks like and how they will respond to more people cooking from home and being interested in home cooking. But also, knock on wood, hopefully we'll be able to travel again soon and experience the world. And and what is that going to mean for Um, consumer demand for cookbooks. Are people going to be really interested in seeing more travel cookbooks, more international cookbooks, more cookbooks from around the world? The other thing I think is not yet here, but that we should be paying attention to are TikTok cookbooks. We did Mm. get the Korean Vegan, which is a beautiful cookbook this year from Joanne Lee, who sort of um, became popular on TikTok over the course of the pandemic with some of her Korean vegan recipes. I think that's a whole new genre that's going to be really exciting uh, to watch.
1: Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Brian Hogan Stewart, the host and creator of the Salt and Spine podcast. And by the way, if you're looking for a gift for someone like him, who already seems to own every cookbook that they would ever want, Brian suggested that vintage cookbooks can be an especially meaningful way to go. For example, he and his wife were married in New Orleans, and so for their first anniversary, she gave him an old copy of a times Young cookbook. Two independent cookbook shops that I love to turn to for gems like that are Kitchen Arts and Letters and Bonnie Slotnick's. This week's show was put together by Cora Lee, Amy Schuster, and Emily Hanhan. If you discover a genius cookbook over the holidays, I would always love to hear from you at at geniusfood 52com Or just tag me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating or review. Or send this episode to someone you know who has almost finished reading that cookbook on their nightstand. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. Talk to you next week.